0: We are going to be back in Romans this morning. Turn with me back to Romans chapter 12. (coughs) Romans chapter 12. When you get there, if you'll stand, I'll read just a few verses. We're going to read verses 3 through 8. Romans 12. Let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. And he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray once more. Father, these are such vital words, not just to hear, but to understand. And I pray you would open our eyes more fully to your glorious plan of how the New Testament church is to function and what each of us has to do with that function. Father, we thank you for giving us truth. We thank you for holding nothing back that is needful to us. Help us, Lord, too. Understand what's said here this morning so that we may glorify you more fully and bear more fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. That thing likes to slide, doesn't it? (coughs) Well, obviously much of our discussion... Uh, This morning is going to be concerning the topic of spiritual gifts and what's said here in Romans 12. I suppose I'll throw this out. Uh, There's actually two major passages concerning spiritual gifts in the New Testament. There's other principles given. There's other passages that do touch on it. But I'll give you at least an easy way to remember it. The number 12 is prominent in the Scriptures. There's 12 disciples, 12 tribes of Israel. Well, the two major chapters dealing with spiritual gifts are both chapter 12s. And where those occur is the first two epistles of the New Testament. Remember, you've got five historical books. You've got the four Gospels, then Acts. And then the very first two epistles, Romans, 1 Corinthians, deals in chapter 12 with the subject of spiritual gifts. Now, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is a little bit more corrective in nature. And this one you could say is didactic or just, just teaching in context of where we've been. And we'll touch on some of that uh, towards the end. But I do want to point out the importance of this topic. Paul begins 2 Corinthians 12, and he says, Now now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. He's saying, I can't stand the thought that you don't understand this topic because it's so vital of how a church is to function. Now keep in mind, Corinth was a people that thought they understood this. And Paul was telling him, "Uh, you don't understand it. Not as well as you think. Uh, Most of us would say that part of any education, let's say your child is going to go through basic four-year high school education, included in that is going to be something about anatomy and biology, right? And you could say, well, now, why do I need to learn anatomy? I mean, doesn't uh, everybody have feet and hands and a head? I mean, don't I know, if you tell me to wash my ears, where I can find those located? I mean, don't I have a basic understanding of my own body? Well, obviously, uh, the higher-ups in the education system think it's important to have a deeper understanding of how the various parts of the body work together. More than just the surface, more than just the superficial, but to understand more about the whole system complements itself. I think we can say the same thing is true regarding the anatomy of the local assembly. It is kind of prerequisite to our basic Christian instruction to understand how the various members or organs do function together. The Bible has a great deal to say about that. I suppose I'll begin from here by asking the question, what is a spiritual gift? And somebody says, so-and-so has these spiritual gifts. What do they mean by that? Well, sadly, I think a lot of times what's meant is merely human ability. That's a mistake that's made all the time in this realm. I've heard people say many times of some prominent lost person. They'll say, oh man, what a, what a tremendous Christian they'd make. Because they have this, and they do that, and they have this ability. But just because a person's a talented orator, or a magnetic personality that they possess, it doesn't mean they possess the spiritual gift of teaching, for instance. Just because a person has a beautiful singing voice does not mean that's a spiritual gift. Consider the way we use that term. You say so and so is a gifted person. What do we mean? Uh, It's some natural characteristic, usually by birth, enabling a person to do special things. It's music, it's athletics, it's academics, or etc. And we say so and so is a gifted person. And there are people like that, no question. But here's what we have to understand at the outset. In the biblical usage of the word, a gift is a ministry of the Holy Spirit through a Christian person. A spiritual gift is not something a person is just born with and has their whole life. A spiritual gift is a ministry of the Holy Spirit through a Christian. In other words, a Christian person is just merely a conduit exercising the calling that they've been appointed to by the Lord from heaven. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. I'm going to bounce off some passages in that that chapter as we go through. Spiritual gifts are called a manifestation of the Spirit. So this is critical. Just like Galatians 5. What does he mean the fruit of the Spirit? What he's saying is Christian character is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of a believer. So it's the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, The same thing as spiritual gifts. They are also a product of of what the spirit of God is doing in a person's life. A spiritual gift is given when a person comes to Christ. That's when it's given. Now, it may be in keeping with some natural talents. It might be. It might be enhanced uh, by the spirit in spiritual power by God himself. I think many examples in history. A certain intellectual ability Certain organizational ability. Uh, Somebody will come to Christ, they'll dedicate those to the Lord, and that is in keeping with their spiritual gift. But we've got to keep the two separate. Natural ability does not equal spiritual gift. This is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit's working in a Christian person submitted to Him that may or may not be in keeping with these natural abilities we already saw. A spiritual gift might be something a person did not know they could do until... They came to Christ and grew enough to submit to Him to actually ask and begin to seek what their gifts were, and lo and behold, they find out this is one of the things God's called them to do. I really believe a lot of the Lord's people have gifts they don't even know they possess. They don't know. Because it's just not some obvious external characteristic. But until there's a desire to exercise these things, many times they're just going to lay latent underneath the surface. Uh, many of these gifts that are mentioned here, and this, in fact, I would say all of them here as we walk through Romans 12, are more of categories than they are specific gifts. Okay, in other words, uh, under each heading, there's many ways they could be carried out within scriptural guidelines. One of them, for instance, is ministry or serving. How many ways in a local assembly can serving happen? I mean, is there any end to that? There's thousands of applications. But those can come under the spiritual gift of just noticing needs and meeting them. And that, by the way, can be evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in somebody's life. just that one. Uh, now I want to say this carefully, but this is quite a theological discussion. I'm not going to say dogmatically either way, but many solid men would say that it's possible this list here is suggestive and not exhaustive. And what I mean this, this isn't intended to be a list of the only spiritual gifts but it might be a suggestive list saying here's some of them. And the idea is, according to the the age or the dynamic of the local assembly, there could be no end to the different ways God will carry these things out through the life of individual Christians. I mean, every every church uh, has its own unique dynamic. Now what gives credence to that view is the other lists mentioned. There are different things mentioned. They don't all line up. I mean, they complement each other. Okay, but it's at least a possible... Now, uh, if, for instance, a lot of the ones in 1 Corinthians 12 are ones that were part of the apostolic age. Miracles. Tongues. Okay, those are things given while the Bible is not yet completed. What you'll notice today in the predominantly charismatic movement that wants to emphasize all those things, they usually don't understand the purpose for spiritual gifts to begin with. If you were to pin them down and say, why are gifts given? They probably could not answer that scripturally. Because a lot of times it's like what was happening in Corinth. They wanted the noise, the activity. They wanted people to see how gifted they were. That's not why they were given. There's no need for those things today because we have the written Word of God. Remember, this is more authoritative than voices from heaven, says Peter. Remember that? It's an important principle. Now of course, modern religion wants to run with that concept that there's all kinds of possibilities. You know, Someone wants to say, well, I'm, I have a spiritual gift to be a clown or a comedian. Or uh, juggling acts and magicians and some sort of rock stars going from church to church. But I have to remember, this has to be limited by other passages. There's qualifications to certain callings, particularly public teaching ministries. Secondly, these are a manifestation of the what Spirit? Holy Spirit. In other words, it's not going to have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. It's not going to ape the world. That's not a spiritual gift. What's the purpose of spiritual gifts according to Ephesians 4? They're given to perfect the saints, to edify or to build up the body of Christ. God gives these gifts to build up the local church. That's why He gives them. Now that building up is not primarily numerical. It doesn't mean knock out the walls and build a huge facility. Now growth is good in the right context, but the growth God is more interested in is depth. And as we're built up in depth, then we're built up in breadth. Because we actually have something to offer, a a dying world. Instead of the crackling of burning thorns and nothing that really touches the soul. True spiritual gifts are not for entertainment value. They're not to impress the masses. I think it's interesting, the etymology of the word amuse. We're big on amusements today. Now you take the word theist, somebody who believes in God. What's an ah, ah-theist? Somebody who doesn't believe in God. The opposite. The opposite. What's the word muse mean? It means to think profitably and soberly. So what is awe-muse? It's to mentally check out. To have somebody do your thinking for you. I'm not saying all amusement's bad, but I'm saying it's interesting that's becoming a predominant characteristic of the age to tune in to something else and have them think for you. It's certainly not helping people grow up spiritually. So spiritual gifts are going to challenge people to live soberly and righteously. Spiritual gifts are going to lead people to maturity. It's going to help them grow in discernment. It's going to show them the character of God, not tickle their emotions with pseudo-religion. And these are going to be exercised largely in the local, excuse me, local assembly. Now some of them are going to go outside. You look at the calling of evangelists. Obviously, it's going to touch the outside world. But these are gifts given to the church, to the body of Christ. Now here's another important one. 1 Corinthians 12.7 says, This is a manifestation of the Spirit given to every man. Here's why that's important. Every single Christian has at least one spiritual gift, and probably more, given to them at salvation. There is no such thing as a Christian person without a spiritual gift. That cannot happen. Cannot. Now, there's lots of Christians who would say, I'm not sure. I understand that. But we have to understand the premise. God does not save anybody without giving them a spiritual gift. He doesn't do it. It's given to every man that they may be profitable, it says. Same passage. Now you remember the Lord's words in John 8, 38. He that believeth on me, he says, as the Scripture uh, hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That means out of his inmost being, he's going to have a life-giving effect on other people. Why? Because he's a conduit. Because he's abiding in the vine. Because he knows Christ. Because he's walking in obedience. And out of that, by exercising those spiritual gifts... Living water comes out. It's a blessing to others. It helps to build them up. Ephesians 2.10, We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You see, it's more than just doing general nice things. Isn't it fascinating for you to know even daily? There are works God has ordained for you to walk in. He knew from the foundation of the world why you were made and what He wants you to do. And what He does at salvation is give you the giftedness needed to carry out His will. To do the works He's called you to do. It's really an astounding thing. Now the main object lesson He uses to illustrate the usage of gifts in the church is that of a body. And again, He does the same thing in 1 Corinthians 12, more so. So basically what He's driving home is a Christian is a member of a body. That is absolutely critical to understand. Why this illustration? Well, first of all, the body is something every person can identify with. I'm not standing here teaching to disembodied spirits this morning. Every one of you are dwelling here in a tabernacle of flesh staring at me because you have a physical body. So automatically it's something you are going to make a connection with. I mean, what if he said the church is like a zebra? Until modern times, if you didn't live in Africa, you might have problems understanding that. But he says it's a body. Uh, A body is a living organism. It's not a cold, calculating machine. A body grows. A body feels joy and pain. A body can be harmed. A body can die if it doesn't have what's necessary to sustain life. A body is designed with functionality. It's designed to do something. All these parts we have are designed for functionality. So when the church is called the body of Christ, part of that is that we are His laborers here on this present earth. Part of the idea of the body is we have work to do and we are the instruments He's going to use under His headship to carry those things out. The body is an amazingly complex illustration of unity and diversity. The right kind, by the way. That's a catchphrase today for a lot of false teaching. But unity and diversity rightly understood. Your body shows that. I mean, every single part is needed and is different and is part of the whole entity. So you, as I look at you, are both one and many, all at the same time. And of course, all of this is illustrating church truth. And I've said the same thing about marriage before. When God gave that same marriage, or that marriage in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't that just He went searching for an illustration to liken the church to later. He gave marriage knowing that would typify the church. And you know the same is true when He made Adam and Eve? He made that body knowing someday He would use that to illustrate thousands of years later what the New Testament assembly was supposed to function like. And God's foreknowledge is, is truly an amazing thing. Now, with that illustration of the body, here's some principles for the exercise of gifts in the assembly. Now, uh, let me say one more thing, though. I think this is huge, too. When Paul talks about the body, the church functioning as a body, he's not talking about this universal mystical entity spread all across the world. What you'll find in First Corinthians 12, that church, that one local assembly, he is likening to a complete body. Why do you think that's huge? If you don't get that picture, it's okay to just bounce around. It's okay to just not show up. It's okay to just do whatever you want. But when you understand, if God's placed you in a certain assembly, that's a completed body. That's where the picture really becomes poignant, which is exactly the picture that he's painting here. Okay, principle number one you find it in verse three. Don't think of yourself too highly. Does mankind ever do that? He says the grace given to me basically prompted Him to warn all of us not to have inflated opinions of ourselves or our giftedness. I mean, that's the first thing He says on this note. Uh, The word soberly means sane or moderate. He says think sanely. Think rationally. Step back and give this some consideration. Now on the one hand, He's not saying do nothing under the guise of being too humble. Some people like to make that as an excuse. Oh, I'm just too humble. I just can't do anything for God. It's a colorful excuse for laziness is what it is. So he's not saying that, but here's what he is saying. Be careful and honest about your true spiritual abilities. And in general, the more influential and public a certain ministry or giftedness is, the slower a person should be to occupy that role. That's why there's so much said about the carefulness of people that are in a public teaching ministry. It's not something there to rush to. It's not something the church is to rush to let happen. There's a lot at stake. And this again is what Paul ran into at Corinth. They were all clamoring for the loudest gifts. They they all wanted to speak in tongues. They all wanted to heal. They all wanted to do miracles. They all wanted to prophesy. And and what's happening in chapter 14 is he's saying, here's what's happening in your assembly. And he names all the stuff and then he starts to correct it. He starts to limit things. It was chaos. Remember the previous chapter? They thought they had the Lord's table all figured out. We got this one, Paul. He says, we have a problem. And he corrects them there in chapter 11. He says, you're not doing things right. You are shaming them that have not. You're puffing up self. So that was Corinth. They all wanted to be seen. They all wanted to be heard. They all wanted everybody to know what precious gifts of the Spirit they had. And he's basically telling them in that chapter, you don't understand the purpose for the gifts. You don't understand the heart behind the gifts. Step back and look at this. Look at this from God's perspective. He asks them the question, he says, if the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? If everybody wants to be one body part, we're missing some things. I remember as a kid, there was this weird store we used to go in in Seattle. We like to walk along the waterfront. and One of the weird things they had in that store was this jar of formaldehyde. And in that jar of formaldehyde, they had a two-headed pig. And actually, just a, a, a young pig with two heads. Now, why does that draw so much attention? Because it's weird. <laughs> a pig is supposed to have one head, two ears, four legs, one tail. Need I keep going? Right. So it attracted attention because it was abnormal. And so basically, that's the point Paul's making: that each component is placed with flawless wisdom, right where God wants it. Now, your goal should be to be where God wants you functioning, not where you think you'd be best used. There's all the difference in the world between those two. I heard a statement by a pastor recently. I had to crack up laughing. He said the problem in our church is there's too many chiefs and not enough Indians. And what he meant was, everybody wants to be in charge. So what are you saying? And uh, he said it caused it caused real trouble there. Uh, some in this same category believe they're extra discerning. They hear voices. They're going to see demons and deal with them. There's entire ministries built on this sort of thing. I'll admit, I'm skeptical <clears throat> of ministries that build a whole national following based on dealing with demons. Because... The New Testament does not place the emphasis there. The New Testament teaches your greatest enemy is who? You, your flesh. The greatest enemy you're to combat, and the most ink spilled on fighting that, by the way, is on you dealing with your sin nature. The theology behind it, how corrupt it is, and how to defeat it. That's Romans 6-8. through Huge! There's not a lot said about casting out demons in the epistles. Because they are to be fought like every other temptation of the flesh. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. And listen, if the devil will flee, then certainly those underneath him in rank will do the same. So a lot of this, I fear, is built on this thinking too highly of oneself. We've just got extra discernment here. I know the Bible doesn't say a lot about it, but, but we're real experts. And so a lot of times the problems that come up, instead of just going here and saying, Lord, this is sufficient, You've got to call 1 800 whoever from the East Coast and have the expert come in and do whatever. Why? Is not the Word of God sufficient? Well, sure it is. <clears throat> so basically, it's a warning against a religious ego. It's learning to judge not on the basis of talent or wealth or prosperity, but Christian character. Here's some good tests Are you willing to do the menial to the glory of God? remember hearing a guy years ago, he's gonna, he, he, he goes, to a, goes to his pastor. He says, I, I think God's calling me to preach. And, uh, and I said, good. He said, I want to start training for the ministry. The guy says, good, we'll start tomorrow. So he shows up the next morning, and the guy hands him a toilet brush. He said, you go clean all the toilets sparkly clean. Come talk to me when you're done. He said, boy, I fought with that at first, but I got the point. Is teaching him are you willing to do the menial or are you just rushing to the highest place that makes a difference how do you respond when others tell you you may not be as gifted as you think you are or when someone else is given a responsibility you think you should have or when you're told to wait a while to see if you're really ready for a particular place if somebody gets all tight in a knot about any of those it shows they're thinking too highly of themselves Paul says don't do that. Alright, similarly, number two, each part of the body has a different function. See verse 4? For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. Okay, just like your physical body. All kinds of members, all kinds of parts, all given their own a unique place, their unique function. I mean, is the function of a kidney different than a kneecap? Is the function of your rib cage different than the function of your femoral artery? Which one of those do you want to give up today? Probably none of them, unless you've got a problem with the gray, gray matter between your ears. You, we need those parts. So basically, your function in a local assembly is not going to be a carbon copy of anybody else. It's not. Some people, I think, are adept at pointing out missing body parts but don't want to do anything to fill the need. I, you know, I, I often, I've often i told people in the past, when you're looking for a church, it's good to ask the doctrinal questions. It's good to ask about what that church can, can do for our family. But don't forget to ask the other side. What need can we fill? How can we serve? I've seen, I think, well-meaning Christian people. They're, they're out shopping or whatever for a church, whatever you want to call it. That's what it amounts to a lot of times. And they go here and they go, oh, that place is lacking in hospitality. And I like to ask them, do you know how to have people over for dinner? How about you do something about the need you see? You know, the church as a body is going to go through seasons. Is your body always healthy? Mine hasn't been lately. And if you see the church in this snapshot at a slightly unhealthy state, instead of trying to do something about it, but you just point out the problems, what are you helping? It's kind of like a, his this body's on a operating table here amidst all the blue gowns, and the guy needs a kidney transplant. Finally, the organ comes, and here they, they bring it in on ice. The doctor's gonna put it in, and the kidney looks over there, and he says, I'm not going in that body. The doctor says, How come? He says, I'm missing a kidney. And the doctor says, Exactly. That's why I'm putting you there. You know, he does the same thing to us. He does. We've got to see it from His perspective. The great physician is the one who places the organs when somebody needs to be transplanted. Alright, verse 3. But the, or, or number 3, those differing members are a vital part of each other. Look at verse 5. So we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. Can you tear off an arm without hurting things around it? He says, in the local assembly, not universal, local assembly, this church is a body. And if God has placed you here, you are all intertwined with each other. You are all members one of another. You are all joined, not by human effort, but by the Spirit of God who does the supernatural work. That is huge. What's that going to do for my conduct? What is it? What is it going to, what's it going to do for my involvement? What's it going to do for my faithfulness? You see, the Lord wants us to think on those terms. Not just what do I have going, what do I feel like, but what's this doing to the body? What's this doing to the body? Now most of us are familiar with the so-called vestigial organs. You ever hear those? Be, by the way, that's an evolutionary concept. It was Darwin who wrote about vestigial organs they basically left over from when you, you know, stood upright from being an ape, and among those would be the uh, appendix. You know, for years they, you, no one needed an appendix. Oh, by the way, they have found a function for the appendix. Imagine that. And there's probably more to it than they know. How about this one? Your tailbone. The evolutionists will say, well, the tailbone's left over from when you were a monkey, and so you just got that little bit of tail. Well, I'd like to tell Mr. Evolutionist, then go down and get it cut out. Because guess what? All those muscles and tendons that are anchored to it, that are now going to be doing this, you might find you have a need for that thing, just like God designed it. How about You know what they say about goosebumps? You know why you have goosebumps? Because your ancestors needed to appear bigger and hairier to scare off predators. And so you have goosebumps. That was how, that was how ancient man used to puff. them. They'll seriously tell you this. What a bunch of nonsense. But the point I'm making is in the human body designed by God, there's no vestigial organs and parts. There's nothing there without a purpose. Do you know what's also true about the church? There's no vestigial parts in the church. Nobody is here if placed by God on accident. Nobody. Nobody. Less visible maybe. Different functionality. Different place. But not unneeded. All of it's needed from blood cell up to shoulder joints and everything in between. All of it's important. By the way, this is why it's painful when people depart the body in which God has placed them. Because it's like an amputation. Because blood vessels need to heal. Because nerves need to be rerouted. Because the body has to adjust. Because you don't rip apart a body without pain. Without the ramifications that go with it. My friend, By the way, the Christian that understands this is not going to try to exercise their so-called gifts in a way that divides the assembly. One of the unpleasant things you have to deal with as a pastor from time to time, not too often, but there's people that come into the assembly, and they want to draw little disciples away after themselves. They want to have some little home study, and they want to start teaching things that they know full well are against what we teach here. But yet they come here to do it. But if they understand they're part of a body placed by God, if they understand the way gifts are to build up the body, they're not going to do that. Because they're going to understand this is a body placed by Christ. And you harm part of it, you harm all of it. And number four, each member must man their individual post. Verse six, having then gifts differing according to the grace given to us. Do you catch that? All of us have gifts that are different, not by human wisdom, not by practicality, not by our design, not by sending questionnaires into the community, but determined by the grace of God. That's how the gifts are given, that's, that's the basis. What does it mean to be handicapped if you had to define them? Well, I suppose a basic working definition is you have one or more body parts that might be there or might not, but they're not doing what they're supposed to do. I remember hearing about a guy in the news just recently. He had some weird strain of strep. They didn't know it. They went in and did investigative surgery and found this huge infection in his stomach. Had no idea where it came from. Uh, they found out he had some rare type of strep. And so his organs were shutting down. And so they rerouted blood to his organs. They get put on medication to draw all the blood there. And then the blood to his hands and feet stopped. By the time he left the hospital, he was missing two hands and two feet. He was handicapped. Just, just by some strange uh, a strep anomaly out there. Those kind of things happen. We understand what handicap means. But if part of the body's not functioning properly, it may have been amputated or may still be there, but it's just not doing what it was designed to do. Do you know the church of Christ can be handicapped the same way? Do you know just as there's no such thing as a Christian with no spiritual gift... There's also no such thing as a disobedient Christian that's not hurting and hindering others. It can't happen. They're joined in a body. One part of the body doesn't develop problems and paralysis without causing problems to the rest. And here's the amazing thing, though. Others may have no idea what they're missing, but the Lord does. Isn't it true in the medical community that sometimes the problem you think you have... I remember I uh, I've had back problems over the years and I've had sciatica. How many of you love sciatica? That's not very pleasant. But what I'm told is, you know, let's say your right side, you've sciatica problem on your right side, it's actually your left side that's the problem. It's actually the muscles over here that are probably causing it. So a lot of the problems you have, the underlying cause is something in a different part of the body. Same with the church many times. Same thing with the functionality of the body as a whole. 1 Corinthians 12 again, 25 and 26. Members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. So each member has been placed by the grace of God. Now quickly, let's just say something about the gifts mentioned. We will go through these fast. These categories of gifts. The first one is prophecy. Somebody's been given the gift of prophecy. The office of prophet, by the way, is foretelling the future is not an activity day. That was something while the Bible was being completed. But prophet in the New Testament sense of not foretelling, but forthtelling. There are people God is supernaturally gifted to speak the mind of the Lord by helping people understand the Word of God in a public forum. And I'll say again, sometimes those are men that had speaking ability prior. Sometimes it's not. I've met many men whose gods used to preach that had no idea they could do it. If you ask that person to speak publicly, they'd rather die. But lo and behold, they find out God's called them. And then they begin to struggle with, but I can't do it. What did Moses say? God said, I want you to deliver the children of Israel. Huh? I can't do that. No, you can't. Can you be a conduit though? You see, the branch has to worry about one thing: sticking to the vine. That's it. It doesn't produce the life-giving sap. It just has to stick to the vine, and then it's produced through it. The same with us and our gifts. So, uh, by the way, though that that gift of a prophet in the New Testament sense is not just confined to the pastor. It's There's many other useful preachers that can be raised up that aren't. I mean, evangelist is one of those. Or preaching in the prison or teaching adult Sunday school or any giftedness to preach can be used in a lot of different forums. Again, this is a category of gift. Two, ministry, it says. Or ministering. That's the word again behind the English word deacon. To serve. Now, it, does, it, it it's not just speaking of the official position of a deacon. It can include that. But it's saying it includes... Basically, all the ways service can be rendered in a local assembly and beyond that, the community. I mean, you know, setting up chairs can be a Spirit-led ministry. Bringing coffee can be a Spirit-led ministry. Watching children, little guys, so that parents can hear the Word of God once or twice a week. Teaching children. These are service, spiritual ministries. Sometimes they go unnoticed. But they can be done for the glory of God. He says, let us wait on our ministering. In other words, let's pour myself into the sphere of service God's place placement. Be occupied with it. And what does he say? Faithful in least, faithful in much. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. Somebody who has the gift of ministry, ministering is going to notice things that need to be done and do them. And as a church grows, there's lots of those. From the huge down to the menial. All kinds of ways to serve one another. Teaching. Not the same gift as preaching. Preaching is going to include teaching, but teaching may not include preaching. Uh, Preaching is more authoritative in tone. It carries with it an ultimatum. It's more pointed. But teaching just means to communicate knowledge. Again, how many ways could that be carried out? How many ways? All kinds. All kinds of ways that can be carried out. Some people have the gift of communicating knowledge. And that can be exercised in a lot of ways. Exhortation. That's encouraging people to live godly and to amend their ways based on future events that are coming. That's what that means. Get your life in order. Jesus is coming back. There are people who are gifted in this area. Now that could be a part of preaching. It could be over the phone. It could be by letter. It could be by conversation at the coffee shop. It could be by writing books. Tozer had the gift of exhortation, by the way. You want to read something that will light a fire under you? Read some of his writings. That will do the job, I think, if we're willing to hear. And then he says, he that giveth. Some people actually are supernaturally gifted with generosity. Now that doesn't necessarily mean they're rich, although many times it's been the case. There's been Christian men in history that have been given the mightest touch in business and yet maintain their testimony for the Lord. Most of you have heard of the life of R.G. Letourneau. R.G. Letourneau in the early 1900s, he left school at the age of 14. He had Christian parents. They were apprehensive, but they said that was fine. So he gives up school at age 14. He takes a correspondence course later on on motorcycle mechanics and declared himself the Bachelor of Motorcycles. He begins to work on automobiles, eventually develops an uh, interest in dirt work, starts driving earth-moving equipment, has an excavation company for a time, decides to try manufacturing a thing or two. Well, eventually R.G. Laterno makes a massive fortune manufacturing earth-moving equipment. A lot of the stuff you see now is designed by him. But all the while this was going on, he maintained a busy schedule of speaking at Christian events, of being a president of the Gideon's International. And he began by saying, I'm going to give 20% of my income to God. Then 30, then 40. Eventually, he's given 90% of his income to the Lord's work and living off 10%. And God just kept blessing him. Just kept blessing him. A pretty amazing story. And most of the men of God you know of, Mueller's orphanages, Spurgeon's Metropolitan Tabernacle or the orphanage is connected with it. Hudson Taylor's China Inland Mission. What you don't read about as much is most of those have been tremendously helped by men like that who had the gift and the grace of giving that God had blessed to build up His work. Unsung heroes. It says do it with simplicity, without self-seeking. Not this big display. Not with the motive of being noticed. And there's men like that. And women like that. And children could be like that. Or he that ruleth. That means to preside. That's the gift of leadership. So things are done decently and in order. Again, not just the pastor. Especially in a larger church, there's more necessity there is for different leadership positions. People gifted by the Spirit of God to oversee. How about this one? He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. That's to have compassion or pity. And cheerfulness means it's the word for hilarious. Those that show compassion with great joy, it's their delight. To, and that type of people... But my mother's like one of those, by the way. Who is, maybe she'll listen to this online. My mother's one of those people. Seriously. She walks into a room and gravitates towards the hurting, the wounded, the downcast, and the struggling immediately and enters their world. Immedi- anywhere. Doesn't, I mean, it could be at a bus station. Total strangers. Walmart. I mean, she's like this all the time. And so a person with this gift... Now, you know, all of us are told to be merciful, but some are actually gifted. You know, you ever found there's people that can go into a sick bed in a hospital and bring sunshine with them? There's other people that will go in and bring a black cloud. They're just not gifted in that area. And so they're going to gravitate towards lifting people up in Christ, and they're good at it. Now, that's just the categories, and it covers a massive amount of possibilities for bearing spiritual fruit. But let me just conclude with a few comments on those. If you belong to Christ, can we please pretend like we've never heard this statement before? You were not saved to stagnate. You were saved to serve. Period. And the fact you're still living only underscores that fact. The reason you're called a tree, a branch, you're to bear fruit for the Lord still. If God has called you to this church, (coughs) If he has, it is as a vital component of the entire body. And listen, the whole church is harmed and weakened when anyone called to be here does not occupy their station in whatever way they're supposed to. That's a hard thing to swallow. Let's say we're going to have a service here one of these nights and someone walks in the door that we know they're missing an ear, a few fingers, half of a leg... You're probably going to ask some questions, aren't you? Why is it so often the Bride of Christ functions like that? Nobody thinks anything of it. How come? The body is harmed when the individual members are not in life-giving communion with God and man in their own station. Here's another one I think is absolutely massive. Most of the spiritual gifts that you come up with are not official ministries in the church calendar. Do we get that? I think a lot of times the Lord's people think, oh, spiritual gift. The church needs to create a ministry on the calendar at a certain time and find out what my gift is and then I know my gift is going to be exercised here on the calendar. There are things like that. But a lot of the spiritual gifts are just going to be exercised organically in everyday life in church meetings and among the Lord's people. There's never going to be enough ministries on the calendar of an assembly to accommodate every spiritual gift. That cannot happen. It is possible to organize ourselves to death. So if somebody's waiting for something on the calendar all the time, not everybody can do that. We don't want to kill things through programs just for the sake of it. Much of it's just going to be carried out as led by the Holy Spirit. Like Take the word exhortation. I mentioned that. You know, encouraging people by what's coming in the future to live godly. Uh, all of us are told to do that, by the way, Hebrews 10.25. We're to exhort each other daily and, and constantly. But, but there's some gifted in this area. So how is that to be carried out? Do we need to have an exhortation class, 7 p.m. Thursday nights? And all of you that are, need to be exhorted, you just sign up for the class. And all of you that are gifted to exhort, you just you, you know, stand there and exhort them a little. You see what I'm saying? It's got to be done in the coffee shop. It's going to be done on the phone. It's gonna be done in conversations here. They say, brother, Jesus is coming. The judgment seat of Christ is coming. What are you doing? Where's your priorities? See? That doesn't have to be something scheduled. It's no accident, by the way, where in Romans 12 this passage occurs. You remember, it's been several weeks. Romans 1 and 2, what was the thrust? I'd mentioned, or Romans 12, 1 and 2, I'd mentioned that was the gateway to the rest of these four chapters, remember? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I'm begging you because of what I said, because of this great God we have and the mercy He's shown toward you and the fact He saved you to serve, the fact that uh, of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, and you're made for the glory of God. He's saying, because of that, I'm begging you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's not this club over the head, but He's saying, look at your God. And I'm begging you to invest your life in serving Him. As the life is yielded more consistently, you're able to prove through the Word of God what is that good and perfect will of God concerning what? Concerning your functionality within the body of Christ. That's the primary context of what's being said. Okay, There's no accident this is put uh, where it is. So as a result, we're able to discern His will, especially with what we specifically have been called to do. Now friends, listen. That yieldedness to God is what reveals what spiritual gifts you really possess. And the exercise of those gifts, and perhaps even knowing what your gifts are, is impossible without submission to His Lordship. You see, for those to be a ministry of the Holy Spirit through you, you have to be walking in the Spirit for those to be manifested. There is no shortcut around that. Now... He doesn't give us gifts to draw attention to self, nor does He reveal our gifts so we can decide whether or not we want to obey. He reveals those gifts and uses the gifts of those who are trying to follow Him honestly in every known area. So you come through that, and the door to gifts opens up. Now this is something that's not primarily for others to tell you. Listen, other people are going to recognize areas of giftedness generally, but... Think about it. Who's the weight of responsibility put on this passage? Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given, let us prophesy according to the proportion of, proportion of faith or ministry, let us wait under ministering. He's saying it's our own individual duty to work this out before God. Other people will recognize it, but it's something we should be seeking to figure out for ourselves. How can I encourage? How can I exhort? How can I serve? How can I build up? What has God called me to do here? What is it? Because there is something. someone says, I don't know what mine are, now that's a different discussion. But I will tell you this. Ask the Lord and seek His will, and if you're willing to obey and prayerfully search out your sphere of service, I guarantee you He will show you. I guarantee you. God does not leave us in the dark on this. But a lot of it is going to center on the will. I have to be willing. I'll close with this question on a rather different topic, but one that's important. I've been talking to Christian people. On any given Sunday, I don't know the state of every soul in the room. I wish I did. I've thought sometimes preaching, I wish there could be a little glowing light over everybody so I could know who really belonged to Christ. I don't know that dogmatically. One of the sobering things about standing up here teaching consistently is you know there over the years will be people that sit in this building that hear this book and someday this is called up on judgment day against them because they don't have their own sins forgiven they don't know God they don't know Christ they don't know the way of salvation so I always try to at least throw out do you know your sins are forgiven can you sit here this morning and say there's one way of salvation through Christ and I know Him God tells me I can find forgiveness of sins I found it, I found Him I found the living water. The Lord says, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. That's me. I'm one of those whosoever's. Can you say that? If not, don't put it off. All of what I said is useless. Unless somebody already knows Christ. All of us are going to be somewhere forever based on one thing. Who is Christ to you? Is he savior or is he judge? He's going to be one of those two. If I can be of help to anybody, you guys know this, I say it frequently. I'll be here after the service. Most of you have my phone number. If someone needs to talk afterwards, please do. It's the delight of my soul to talk to people about these things. I don't know everything, but God does. If I can just be a signpost. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us instruction in this area. And I pray, Lord, you help us to really grab hold of this, this illustration of a body. It is huge. Father, I pray for those sitting here that might say, I'm not really sure what my place is here. Lord, I pray you might give light. I don't feel that's something we can shortcut and invent some microwave way to figure that out. But Lord, you said you will direct in that area. You've said every Christian is gifted in some way. I pray You'd help us, Lord, as we grow as a church to encourage one another to fulfill the roles given to us, to be able to recognize in one another areas of giftedness, to be able, Lord, to have an outlet for those. Lord, we know that You don't give gifts without having an outlet for those gifts, so I pray You'd lead us to both. Lord, if there's one here or more, it may be religious, but their state before You is dead in sin. They've rebelled against you. They won't believe in Christ. They don't know what that means even. I pray, God, you'd put a tremendous weight on their soul. But nothing can relieve except coming to the knowledge of the truth. I pray you'd show them there is no other way. There's no time for delay. There's no valid excuses. I thank you, Lord, for being willing to save whosoever will come.